you have your copy of God's Word, Philemon chapter, well, the only chapter, chapter 1. Uh, where we're going to be today. Um, to the educators from Lone Star, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, it's so important. Yes, yes. It's so important for us from, from the church side for us to be able to put eyes on you so that you all are not just some abstract idea. You are people that we love and get to pray for. Uh, and uh, and I, I know how, how I was to my teachers uh, growing up. We need to pray for you daily. If there's any kids like me that are, that are around there. All right. Um, Okay, a couple things we want to do. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, okay, because we, we do, uh, we, we packed a lot in today. Um, baptism is always one of the most fun things that I do. And, you know, the interesting thing is that, that, you know, David could never have been baptized. And because he placed his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ, uh, he would have, in the moment he passed, he would have seen the, the face of Jesus saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, come and enter into your rest. But he wanted to proclaim his testimony because Jesus tells us to proclaim our testimonies. And this was his testimony, uh, that Jesus lived perfect life, died for his sins, uh, but rose again on the third day. And so um, today, is, uh, today is, is, a, uh, is a special Sunday in the life of, of Christendom. Uh, we call today Pentecost. It is uh, generally roughly about six-ish weeks uh, since Easter. Uh, this is the day that we generally celebrate after Jesus' resurrection on Easter. Uh, Forty days he ministered uh, and was seen by hundreds of people. Um, and uh, and then, ten, or then he ascended uh, on the 40th day. And then uh, ten days later, uh, Peter stood up to preach, probably in a pulpit that didn't look quite like this. Uh, but he stood up to preach and he said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And 3,000 we know of men plus however many women and children uh, were saved that day when the Holy Spirit fell. And so uh, today is, is a special day when we get to celebrate another life that has, been, that has been saved by Jesus Christ. David, I'm so excited for you. Can't wait to see what God does in your life. It's going to be uh, unbelievable. I, know, I do know that. Um, Tim Keller, who uh, was long time, he was a founding pastor uh, and the... Um, uh, for 30 years of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, long time, you, you, uh, you've heard me uh, reference him in sermons a few weeks ago. Uh, I preached a sermon uh, that was based out of his book, The Prodigal God. Um, he, uh, he won his battle with pancreatic cancer uh, two days ago. And uh, Jesus uh, saw fit to take him home. Uh, and uh, and the, the Christian world, at least in social media, has been grieving uh, this week, uh, I, I, or the, these last couple days. Um, it's interesting that one thing that Tim Keller said, and you're going to hear another quote. I'm, you're probably this week and next week, you're going to be full of Tim Keller quotes because that's where I'm living. Um, but, but I don't know that I know of anybody. I, I, I've never met the man. Uh, but his writings and his, his, his humility and humble kindness uh, and, and charity and generosity towards people that didn't agree with him in a, uh, in, on, on theological stances, political stances, whatever, uh, is something that I want to emulate. Um, and so I want to communicate that to you. If you've never read his books, um, The Reason for God, The Meaning of Marriage, The Prodigal God, um, uh, Center Church, uh, all of those have had an immense effect on my life. Um, and, uh, and I would encourage you. I, I, I don't usually cry over people I've never met. I cried when I heard that Tim Keller passed. Uh, but one thing he said, and I want to share this with you as, as before we get into our sermon today, um, is this. Uh, someone asked Tim Keller about um, what it means to live in a world having cancer, pancreatic cancer, which is very rarely uh, ever defeated on this side of heaven. Um, uh, he, he just said, you know, how do you continue to proclaim the gospel and live the way you do in light of what happened? And he said this. He said, if the resurrection is true, 
And this is my encouragement to you. If, if the resurrection is true and Jesus truly uh, resurrected, was seen by hundreds of people and ministered uh, and proclaimed a gospel of peace and a gospel of wholeness, a gospel of well-being, um, if, that, if all of that is true, then everything is going to be all right. Uh, I don't know if I can give you any better, any better counsel than that today. Um, We've gone through this series called Reset, the idea of resetting our mindset towards reconciliation and forgiveness uh, and being able to move forward together. Your, uh, your new pastor will be here in just a few weeks, and you're gonna, it's a launching pad. You're going you're gonna to launch in all the things that God has for y'all uh, with him uh, as the under-shepherd of this church. But you can't do it unless, there is, um, unless there's true reconciliation. There is true unity. There's no roots of bitterness that spring up within this church that Satan can kind of get a hold on and, and kind of choke out the unity within the church. Uh, so many churches these days are struggling in, the, in unity because we want what we want done. We want it our way. We live in this Burger King society. We want it our way. We want it now. Uh, and, and we're going to hold on to those things. Our culture has taught us that we can hold on to those things, that we deserve this. We, we should want this because, because, because we deserve it. We've worked hard for it. And so we hold on to those things by hook or by crook at whatever cost uh, happens to be. And the story of Philemon is Paul's writing this letter to Philemon, who is uh, this, um, uh, this, this person who uh, hosts the house church uh, in Colossae uh, in his home. And uh, he and, 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 and his wife... Um, uh, and their, their son, they welcomed this church in and they had a slave whose name was Onesimus who, who wound up leaving before his debt was paid and, and was just going to get as far away from eastern Turkey as he possibly could. And he goes all the way to Rome where he's placed into a Roman jail and he meets Paul from Tarsus of all people. And Paul does what Paul does. He shares the gospel. And we see the ripple effect as Paul is going to send Onesimus back to Philemon with this time with a letter saying, if you love him, if you love me, if you care about me, if you consider me a partner, would you receive him, bring him back as you would, as you would accept me? Wow, what a, what a story we're going to impact. We're going to unpack a little bit in the time that we have uh, today. As we uh, unpack this, to, you know, the first two weeks were kind of heavy, I admit. Uh, and I went back and watched them on the, uh, uh, on the, the, the uh, YouTube channel, Fort Carolina YouTube channel. Uh, and I thought, man, those were super heavy. Um, today is very practical, all right? And so if you think we're going to get beat up, we're going to shed a bunch of tears, that, that, that's not going to happen today. That'll happen next Sunday. All right, so, um, <laughs> so we, we are just going to have, have a good time. But what we're going to look at today, and this is the, the crux that we had to get through the first couple weeks to get to this week to get to the application of all of this. As we look at today's big idea, as we, as we finish the letter, is this, the big idea is this, is that Paul models substitutionary atonement. You're like, what in the world is that? We're gonna unpack that too here in just a minute. Paul models substitutionary atonement for Philemon. It's a, it's a picture the Lord Jesus modeled himself when he paid for our debt on the cross. All right, in the substitutionary atonement, right? What is atonement? When something is paid for, when it, it is finished, it has been, you know when, when you, you know, when you pay off a mortgage, when you pay off a car loan and they stamp, you know, it is done, right? You know, you've completed it. You paid your last payment. You don't owe us anything. You're not indebted to us anymore. That was our debt to pay Christ, to pay the Lord for our sin. And that Jesus says, I will take Patrick's place substitutionary atonement. We're going to read the whole 
letter together because that's just what we do. Because it's so, it's so short, but it all kind of goes together. If you missed a couple weeks, you want to hear the whole story. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed Onesimus. He is useful to, to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. But of, of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a, a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Three things we have to get to quickly because we got more people coming in here in a few minutes. We got to do this dance. Three things I want you to look at what what. Substitute, the idea of substitutionary atonement, what it models for us, it models this. Number one, it models, uh, it is a model of the gospel's tenets. It's a model of the gospel's tenets. Look at what he says. He says, if you consider me your partner, literally he says, if therefore me, if you consider me a partner because of that, receive him as you would receive me. He, Paul is asking Philemon to change his view. Change the lenses with which he views Onesimus. He saw Onesimus as a slave. That's what he was used to. I think we get that way, don't we? Like someone either hurts us, and, and this goes both ways. Someone hurts us, and you're like, that person is a terrible person. They are evil, demonic, right? It's probably, probably in most cases is not the case, but they hurt you, so by goodness, they're demonic, Right? Or you have someone that you just love and they can do no wrong. Right? Oh, that's just such a perfect person. Isn't she just wonderful? When really she probably is demonic. I mean, on some level, right? But we have these preconceived notions, right? All the things. And so, so I love how Paul does this. Paul says, look, he says, I want you to change how you view him. All right, View him as you view me. 
Now remember, Paul most likely, he says, in, in the end of verse 19, he says, he says, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Well, does that mean that, he, that, that Philemon has a debt to Paul? No, it, it me, literally means that, that more than likely, we, if we read into context a little bit, he's like, I shared the gospel with you. You're going to heaven because I shared the gospel with you. Do me a solid. Okay, Jesus still did all the work, but, but I was faithful to share with you. And, and, and so do me a favor, like, like this is not that big a deal for you to view him as you view me, but you gotta change the lens. He's no longer a runaway slave. He's now returning as verse 16 says, he's a beloved brother, not a bond servant. Look at verse 18. He says, if he has, I love, this is so good. He says, if he has wronged you at any all, or any, if he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, he says, charge that to my account. How about that? Like, like Paul doesn't know how much Onesimus took or damaged on his way out of town. But he's like, look, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. It's, tra- it's transactional. Like, it's kind of sterile a little bit. It's that simple. There, there's no emotion needed here. Paul says that, that in Onesimus, if, if he's wronged Philemon, stolen anything, Paul literally says, don't miss this. Paul literally says, I'll cover the bill. Church, this is what penal substitutionary atonement looks like. It's a big churchy phrase. But what it means with Jesus when he stands before the Father and God looks at us and he sees our brokenness and he sees our sin. He sees us living in the the curse of the fall. Jesus says, Dad, if, if, if he owes you, if Patrick owes you anything, put it on my account. I'll pay it. Church, you have a sin debt that you can't pay. And it's going to send you to hell. That's your atonement. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, no amount of good you can do will will equate to the amount of, of bad that you've done, I promise. And you may think, well, you know, I haven't done a whole lot that's bad. Believe me, you've done a whole lot more bad than you can do good. You can't pay it. And here's why. Because scripture says that the standard for heaven is perfection. And you ain't perfect. Can I get an amen from the congregation? That better be an amen for you, not for the person sitting next to you. That'd be demonic right there if you did that anyway. um, And so Jesus stands in your place. Now, friend, if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, you just don't know what Jesus did for you, but he did it. But it's only effective. The blood of Christ is sufficient for all, but it's only efficient if you trust him as Savior. Onesimus trusted Jesus as Savior, so his soul was saved. But Paul says, in this world, if he owes you anything, just put that on my account. When I come see you, I'll pay it. And then he throws a little sarcasm and he goes, not to mention the fact that you owe me quite a bit too. R.C. Sproul once said this about grace. He said, it is impossible for anyone, anywhere, anytime to deserve grace. Grace by its definition is undeserved. As soon as we talk about deserving something, we are no longer talking about grace. We are talking about justice. 
Only justice can be deserved. God never owes grace. God reserves for himself the supreme right of executive clemency. So let's understand the difference. I think a lot of times we say, well, you know, you know, we, deserve, we deserve God's grace. That's not true. What we deserve is hell. We deserve his wrath. But, and I think sometimes we use the words mercy and grace interchangeably when that's not really, really, really what, how it is. Uh, let's look at this first. Let's look at what mercy is, okay? Mercy is God withholding that which we do deserve, right? His wrath, right? We deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be sent to hell to have the full measure of wrath poured out on us because, because we live under the curse of Adam from Genesis chapter 3. We live in that reality. But God, in his mercy, withholds that from us by offering Jesus as sacrifice. Grace, on the other hand, is, is different. Well, and, and, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. Right? He says, and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work uh, in the sons of, of disobedience, among them whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of this body and the mind, and were by, by nature children of wrath and the rest of my, mankind. But God, being rich in what? Mercy, right? Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ, for it is by grace that you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God chose to keep his wrath from you by offering Jesus while you were dead in your sins. That's mercy. He withholds that which you don't deserve. But grace is imputing on you or offering you that which you do not deserve, and that is his forgiveness. All right. Now, look at, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. He says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are not good enough. I don't, I don't care how good you are at whatever you think you are good at. You are not good enough to earn God's favor. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you have done that can make God love you less. His love is not transactional. It is not conditional. It is unconditional. Now, look at verse 20. He says, yes, Paul, this is the following. Yes, brother, I want some benefit in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, Philemon has a choice to make. All right, understanding that God has bestowed grace on Onesimus. Paul says, receive him as you would receive me. Allow him back as you would allow me. When, if Philemon were to forgive Onesimus and blot out the, the debt of transaction, who gets refreshed in this? Paul says, refresh my heart in Christ. But what about the house church that's, that's watching and listening to Philemon read the letter? Man, that's a big show of kindness and of grace, isn't it? And the ripple effect that we talked about last Sunday, the ripple effect is, is that other hearts are refreshed in Christ. 
The substitution of Christ is a model of the gospel's tenets, but it's also a model of the gospel's triumph. Look at verse 21. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. What great theology we see, right? You see the correlation between knowing the scriptures and doing what the scriptures command. You can have all the biblical knowledge in the world, but if you don't practice it, I don't believe you're a believer in Christ. And the Pharisees struggled with that because they knew it, but they weren't acting upon it. Paul is confident, I love this, because he knows Philemon, he is confident that the grace that he showed to Philemon can and be replicated in Philemon's encounter with Onesimus. And there was going to come a day, Paul says, one day, maybe I'll get to be released and I can come see you and see it face to face. See the triumph face to face. Did Philemon deserve to get his pound of flesh from Onesimus? You bet he did. Philemon owed a debt. Or Onesimus owed the debt. Philemon was owed a debt. And Philemon had every right to get his pound of flesh out of Onesimus. But if, he give, if Philemon were to give up his right to be right for the sake of unity and love, the hearts of the saints are refreshed because of it. Friend, you may be holding on to something against someone. I had someone ask me last week, does this also include um, if I hold something against someone who's been abusive towards me? Do, do I just have to let it go? Like, go full frozen on them. Do I, have to go, do I just have to let it go? Yes and no. When we start to build a hierarchy of sin, it'll never be uniform, will it? Some of us see some sins worse than others. God just sees sin as dereliction against him. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, He that keeps the whole law, yet it stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking the whole law. And it's hard for us because we, have, we live in a, in a society of hierarchy in, in, in terms of laws, misdemeanors, felonies, etc., capital crimes, etc. But God says that any discretion against me grieves my heart like any other. If someone's been abusive towards you, number one, if you're living in abuse, get out. Okay, get out. Get out today. If you're holding something in your past, from your past, where someone has been abusive towards you, do you have to forgive them? Yeah. You do. But forgiveness doesn't always mean while it may mean reconciliation, it doesn't always mean restoration. You cannot have restoration without reconciliation, but you can have reconciliation without restoration. Folks, sometimes when someone hurts us, you're just never going to be the same kind of friends as you were. You may not be the same kind of family, but let me tell you, if someone's been abusive towards you and you hold that against them, they don't get hurt at all. But you hit that pause button on your life while you, while you sit in that hurt. And Jesus wants you to hand it over to him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And talk to somebody about it. Don't, don't just say, I'll work through it myself. It's so hard through trauma to work through it yourself. Because you're in the middle of it. 
But there are trained counselors that can help you to forgive and to be whole again. Verse 21 says, he says, confident of your obedience, I write to you. Paul probably knew that Philemon just needed a little bit of perspective. And that would most likely, that he said, I know you're probably going to do even more than I ask. That kind of trust is somewhat scarce in our world these days, isn't it? But church, when we forgive, when we reconcile, maybe not restore, but when we reconcile, the burden that lies upon us to pronounce judgment that is not ours to pronounce is lifted. And we go back to those tenets of the Old Testament where where God says, vengeance is mine, not yours. Church, the gospel triumphs when we reconcile. And finally today, we see a model of the gospel's testimony. Look at verse 23. You see names, Epaphras, uh, Mark, Aristarchus, uh, Demas, uh, Luke, others. People that are with him, that are with Paul, people that are in the house church. You do know that people watch us, right? Like, they want to see if you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. You know, you may hand out the gospel track. You may have the follow me to Fort Caroline Baptist Church license tag on your car. If you're a terrible driver, take that off. Um, (laughs) You may have the, the ichthus, right, the Jesus fish. Uh, you know, on the back of your car. Again, I, take it, I go back to if you're a terrible driver, take that off. All right. But people watch us. They, they want to know if we truly live that which we believe. We profess to be Christians. And they want to see if we're willing to put our money where our mouths are. A broken world wants to know whether we're just preaching the gospel or whether the gospel has truly been transformative in our lives. Tim Keller once said in in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, that he co-wrote with his wife, Kathy. And if you can write a book on marriage with your spouse and still be married at the end of it, you got something right. He describes the gospel. And this is beautiful. Listen to what he says. He says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the depth of the gospel. These names in verses 23 and 24, and and you've heard me read a litany of names, bless you. You've heard me read a a litany of names in my tenure as as your interim pastor, and I've butchered quite a few of them. These names mean something. These are not just names. These are people. These men are watching to make sure that Philemon lives the gospel he proclaims. I want to introduce you very quickly to these men. Epaphras was from Colossae and was certainly well known to Philemon. He he was now imprisoned alongside Paul in Rome. Paul sees Epaphras as he sees himself, not as a prisoner of Rome, right? What does Paul say? He says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He is where he is because he was captive to Christ. Mark is John Mark. He's the author of the second gospel. And like Onesimus, he had once been useless. Matter of fact, you see in Acts chapter 15 and verse 38. But now he is useful to the Lord. Aristarchus was a close associate of Paul. More than likely from Macedonia. You see that in Acts chapter 19 and 20. 
He had traveled with Paul to Rome. And then you also read in, in the, the companion letter to Philemon, uh, the book of Colossians, Paul calls him uh, my fellow prisoner. We read in, in uh, early first century tradition that he was martyred in Rome during the persecution under Nero. Demas is honorably mentioned here, uh, but 2 Timothy chapter 4 informs us that there came a time that Demas would desert Paul because he loved the present world. In church, sometimes that happens. Sometimes people that are close to us just decide we want to live, they want to live in the world more, and they turn around and they walk away. And you wonder why they walk away, but God has a plan in it. Luke is the doctor. We know that he wrote Luke. The, Gospels of, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts wrote those to Theophilus. There are those that he believed that believe that Luke also wrote Hebrews. I don't hold that tradition, but some do. But Luke traveled with Paul, cared for Paul as a, as a physician, and was a close friend. And he was the only person that was with Paul in the last days of his second Roman imprisonment before he was martyred at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4. These men... Paul writes these men's names because they stand there with Paul on behalf of Onesimus. Friend, let me tell you, these names carry weight. Paul knew that they were faithful, they were trustworthy companions, and Philemon knew that too. And their vote in favor of Onesimus would have carried weight. As a matter of fact, these men are almost an identical rendering of the greetings when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Philemon knew these men vouching for him would carry significant weight for Onesimus. But the world is watching. They're watching how we respond when the tough times come. And I want to leave you with this this morning. I want to leave, Paul's going to leave you in this letter the same way he began it. Look at verse 25. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is exactly how he started the letter. He begins and he ends this letter to, with Jesus. And church, that's how we should live our lives. That the gospel is paramount. It is greater than any other hurt we could ever imagine. And I don't know what your hurt is. I just know that, that we, as the people of God, carry around significant hurt in our lives. And so while I cannot speak to every hurt that you may, you may have experienced or you may have, that you may feel, I can say this, that the gospel is greater than whatever it is. And it is triumphant. It is the only thing in this world that I have complete confidence will be triumphant when this world is, is set on fire and God remakes it in the image of, of how, he cared, how he wanted it to begin with. And if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and you're harboring those feelings that hurt, God wants to take that from you. He wants you to be reconciled not only to him, but to those around you. That you would let go of those burdens. And that you would find rest and peace in Christ today. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, Pastor Matt's standing right in the back. We want to tell you about that grace today. You just can't know it until you experience it. And I can, I can get every Christian in this room to stand up and say that, and they'll vouch for it. But once you experience it, you never want to go back. Drink from the living water, Jesus Christ, the well that will never run dry. He brings hope to the hurting and peace to the broken. And if that's you, would you not wait to trust Jesus as Savior? Would you do it today?
Today, friend, is the day of salvation. Reset your life. Reset your focus. Trust Jesus today. And if you've trusted him as Savior and you've walked away, never too, never, never too late to come home. Come to Jesus today. I'm going to pray to close this out and then you will be dismissed. If you have questions about salvation or about Jesus, Pastor Matt will be in the back. I'll be standing down front. We would love to speak with you. Father, we love you and we honor you. And as we leave this place today, may we go knowing that your grace is greater than our sin and your gospel is greater than our brokenness. And Father, as Jesus modeled substitutionary atonement, that he took our place, paid our debt. Father, may we absolve others of the debt that they owe us, that there might be hope and restoration in Christ today. God, I know this is a hard thing to ask, but Jesus died for us. Father, may we model that gospel to those who are as equally undeserving as we are. Father, we thank you for withholding your, withholding your wrath, offering us mercy, and showing us grace where it was undeserved. We pray these things in the name of Jesus today. Amen.